and welcome to episode 37 of the 1099 for the week of April 11th, 2016. I am your host as always, Josiah Nodden, and with me today is the deputy editor of Video Gamer and at least a B-tier YouTube celebrity, Stephen W. Burns. Steve, how are you doing today? Not too bad. I think it's probably C. I think, think it's C? kind of C+. You know, Maybe. I was thinking of different things to call you. I was trying to say, like, at least I think top, top-tier hair game in the games writing business was the other thing I was looking at. But I was like, you know, if Not I have hard, two though. silly things, yes. <laughs> A tier all your own, maybe. Maybe your S rank. Uh, so <laughs> my other idea was to cold open with what the hell do you do at Video Gamer? And part of me thinks that is a valid question only because you write reviews. You do previews, yep. features. You kind of do these like video essay, video editorials. You play a character on the Miller Report and other shows that's going on on your YouTube channel. And I mean, yep. you even you edited my work back what feels like 10 years ago now, but was really <laughs> not that long ago uh, when we had worked together. So Kind of to kick this off, does does video gamer have a real like real established roles? I know some people there's there was like a guide person, and some people are more focused on video. But is it kind of a everyone has a bit of a hand in everything kind of system? A bit of both, I'd say. There are clearly defined roles, uh, but at the same time, because we are you know we don't have that many people actually in house on staff, we everyone has to has to pitch in elsewhere, and that's not necessarily oh no woe is us we need all these people to do things that they're not necessarily good at but uh it's nice to have people that that want to be involved because they are and not because their job description or their pay grade says by the way you've got to do two videos a week or you know five uh every seven day or you know whatever so yeah everyone pitches in but everyone enjoys it as well so it, it works for us what is your favorite thing to write because i for the longest time was doing exclusively reviews and to be completely honest that's not my it's probably like my second or third favorite thing to do i really do love to do the, the features that incorporate a lot of quotes so what i did with for you guys with the just cause 2 uh multiplayer mod like that for me is what i love to do where i get to reach out to the people who are really embedded in development who are really like in the trenches and get their opinions and kind of play off of that work with that what have you found to kind of be the thing that you get up the most for what do you really get excited to start covering well, I started in magazines, so yeah, those things. So Back in the day. yeah, those aren't real. Yeah, no, it's over now. <laughs> so uh, it's not. Uh, some, in fact, the best games magazine of all time uh, is Retro Gamer. Full disclosure. Uh, sorry, best games magazine at the moment is Retro Gamer. Full disclosure. I did. Uh, I did write for them once upon a time. But yeah, magazines like that. I love doing feature stuff, like you're saying about Just Cause Two that you did for us. I love it when people can come to us. Or when I can actually, what, what idiots and tossers would say, is deep dive, actually get the story and not just the press release as to how and why these things happen in, in certain games. I used to work as a, as a senior tester, which is a glorified uh, dog's body for <laughs> EA and Sega and the amount of decisions on really big titles there that you would uh, you'd never get the official story from the developer when you're speaking to them on why certain features are in the game or cut or why licensed music costs so much money or the idiocy of uh, certain creative departments is, is fascinating like it is with with uh, any art um, and so it's, it's great to be able to talk to people who were there for feature stuff and, and who know what actually happened or as close to the version of reality of what happened. And I don't feel like we get enough of that in general. And I understand why. Like I've written for enough sites to know that you can you can spend the resources sending someone to a studio or having them you know spend months getting the real story behind something, getting that the and Kotaku does a lot of that stuff where you're looking at 
you know, crunch situations or the, the stuff that you might not really know about from a press release. But when that is getting just as much traffic and generating just as much revenue as here's the top 10 souls bosses of all time and that's going to take some random intern seven minutes to write up to write little blurbs like yeah it's, it's understanding why you would allocate resources in that way but that's also i mean when stuff like that hits i mean have you found i think it was either i reached out to you or you reached out to me initially about doing features uh so when i'm spending you know i spent a few weeks gathering quotes for that and we went back and forth in kind of the final version is something like that for you guys worthwhile? And I, am, I will not be offended if you say, no, that performed like shit, you're an <laughs> asshole. But I mean, is stuff like that, have you found it to be worthwhile to put the effort into producing original content that goes farther than, like you said, than just regurgitating something some dude found on Reddit? I think it's, in, in terms of pure performance, uh, is it worth it? I'd say if you were going to bottom line it, nickel and dime, I'd say you wouldn't do it all the time. I mean, I think with with Polygon, for example, they started and had a really heavy feature focus. You know, they had this whole thing about how they were going to change games writing and and do all of that. But, uh, you know, and it was, it was very pretentious. And uh, but at the same time, I, you know, I, I like to jibe them, so we say. But at the same time, they did produce some very, very good features work there. And that seems to have stopped uh, for reasons because it, it's a loss leader you know it's uh it gets maybe it gets people in but and it's good for your cred and it's good for the awards and it's good to actually do some proper journalism but at the same time it's it's probably not doing the numbers and, and it's not just games journalism we're seeing it everywhere i mean there's this whole thing with, with david granger who's the he was the head of uh of esquire us uh, a fantastic magazine he's had a glittering career 19 years i believe and he's just been replaced and, you know, what's going to happen now, Esquire US, a lot of their writers did fantastic feature work, uh, especially with regards to the guy who shot uh, uh, Osama bin Laden, for example. They had him and what happened to him afterwards and, and all manner of stuff. But that, where's that going to go now? Is, is it cost effective? The answer is probably no. But at the same time, yes, you, you, you know, you don't want to do that all the time. You don't want to make that maybe your primary focus, as sad as that may be. But at the same time, it's still good to have some of that. It's still good to speak to people, to get out there and get out from behind the avalanche of, of press releases, because otherwise you may as well just go to NeoGAF. You'll have no identity. And that's it. You just be churning and burning. Don't go to NeoGAF. Just get away from that. <laughs> it's just cesspool. Uh, and you mentioned that other industries are dealing with this, the idea that you can't focus so heavily on these quote-unquote deep dives and different things like that. But with games writing recently, you've noticed something like, not to harp on Polygon, but let's harp on Polygon, uh, they go from pretty much exclusive games coverage to now they need to have a let's react to the latest Superman versus Batman trailer or the different entertainment things like that. And I, yeah. I guess I never begrudge people or look down on people for going that route as long as it feels natural when you have a personality-based group let's point to giant bomb and they talk about wrestling mm -hmm. it's because they really care about wrestling and it's there's a sense let's say GameSpot recently does a similar thing where they're reviewing movies but it's just the movies that they know this is the way i look at it they know that that audience will probably go for and will get them the most traffic is that at all discouraging for you does that is is that saying that at this point with the way that the ad-based model is and the way that the competition is that you almost need to tack something on to games writing in order to have a site devoted to games writing that games writing might not be enough to prop a website or a business up i think a lot of sites are, are adding stuff uh, for reasons you know which aren't 
just that they like that, that they enjoy that, that their fan base wants to hear them talking about it for that exact reason. Because, you know, you need the clicks. That that that's the business. Um, and you need to you need your advertising model to be working. In the moment, there is still a lot of debate as to you know what does work in in online advertising. It doesn't it doesn't dishearten me to see, say, Kotaku talking about uh, sneakers, uh, or or Polygon talking about whatever. Because even though I may get onto Twitter and just you know go on about it, uh, I you know I understand it from a we we see the numbers from a business perspective here as well and. We get it, you know. It, it just happens. We we do some movie stuff, some wrestling stuff, but yes, it's it's great for us to be able to expand to get you know a new audience or a different subset of our of our current audience to to go through. If I want to bang on about the mad the mad editing choices of Batman v Superman, but at the same time, it felt natural for us because we're I think like Giant Bomb in a way. Everyone, the people that like us, like us for our personalities they know our personalities they know what i like for example or what simon miller likes or what david scammell likes or whatever you know anyone likes in the office is david so, scammell sorry to interrupt you really quickly is david scammell a character or is that just david scammell like every time I've, i see him on a video i'm like i'm not sure like part of me thinks this is just him other times i'm thinking like he's putting on the the yogurt and and the the, the giant suit <laughs> like everything is is this is that real him and everyone else is just playing a character i've got no idea <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's, it's tough to know if he's working the boys or not but um yeah well i mean I, i've worked for him for years and some of it just think i mean is, is he is he working now is this even when there's no camera on but no uh, like like a lot of this our stuff it's it's like wrestling uh, it's uh t- take take maybe some of of who you are or who you'd like to be if you were you know no rules no limits and uh amp it by 10 and uh yeah try not to get into too much trouble but yeah, people. I can only really speak for us. They they know that I you know am big into to movies and like to talk about you know movies and and not just oh yeah and then Batman turns up and he's got a great waistcoat on even though I will talk about those things. And so it it, it was natural for us. It was it was fine. So I think you know we started. I really kicked up uh, some of our movie coverage with The Force Awakens and there's a, there's a natural crossover between what video game people like uh you know and what comic book fans like and what comic book movie fans like and so you know as long as you've got the people on staff who can write about it and not just you know get on the mountain and say well this is the reason but you know have their have an actual opinion which isn't saying oh well this is right and wrong but just saying okay well this is what i thought about and can i bring something to that discussion that isn't just well this is what happens in the movie and i didn't like it because i read Dark Knight Returns or whatever when I was eight, and now, and now I just didn't like these, you know, this shot selection or this scene selection. So from our point of view, it works for us. For others, some people, maybe readers, may may feel it's a bit cynical, but at the same time, it all depends on the quality of the copy or the people doing the presenting, and that's the same with everything. I do agree that it's it's personality based. Like I don't personally don't care what IGN thinks about The Force Awakens, but I might care what. Jeff Gertzman thinks about it or someone yeah. from video gamer because you 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 have established yourself as individuals and not I, back when I was getting into this when I was kind of when I was reading a lot of games writing and trying to you know make my way into it it was much more well what's what's games GameSpot gave this a six or IGN gave this an eight and I feel like the deeper we get into this the more it's this writer gave it that instead of assigning the entire value to 
a website. And I prefer it that way because if someone just, you know, looks at one of my scores for, let's say, I thought the first EA Sports UFC was dog shit and I gave it like a four or five on GameSpot. <laughs> and like, I don't think you should say everyone at GameSpot thinks this game is dog shit. This is the writer that GameSpot decided was best for the job. So I think that is important. Yeah. And uh, continuing to dig into reviews, I think I've placed you, myself, and maybe Nick Capazzoli might be the, the ringleader of this, but the group of game critics on Twitter who just are more and more vocal about the state of games criticism, about good reviews versus bad reviews. And I am, I'm pretty comfortable if I see, I don't like to at people and start a fight and say, your review was awful and you used this one word seven times. Please <laughs> actually edit yourself. But I think it's important to point out things that shouldn't fully be acceptable at major sites with certain writing. So for me, let, let's start here. What in your mind, this is a loaded question, makes for a good game review? What it, It's hard. I think a lot of people might read some of the, the criticism I throw out there and be like, I don't like, okay, what makes that bad compared to like, what's your example of good? So for, yeah, for you, like what, what comes to mind when you think of a good video game review? I think when you're, when you're looking at what you would call good reviews. I think they're not all, well, in fact, they're not almost ever just descriptions of what happened. I think there's a bit of a trend at the moment in games writing, and it's, maybe it's not just at the moment. I'm sure I've done it when I was writing for magazines, but when I was writing for magazines, I had about eight pages to fill. Uh, it's different when you're online God. of the kind of, of experiential. So, you know, you'll, you'll find reviews or previews or features that kind of start with the, I'm crawling, you know, I, or I'm, yeah. I'm on the streets in Los Angeles. And we've all done it. We've all been there. Because sometimes you really want to convey what it's like to be on the ground. But the problem is, is that you can very easily isolate your audience because they've not seen it. And, and then the, the question is, are you good enough to describe what is happening in the game in that form? And a lot of times, I think a lot of people fall flat because you know it, it is very difficult to do essentially it's um it's like non-fiction storytelling in that regard and you know there's not a lot of people who are very very good at that so i think i that's always a bit of a red flag for me when a review starts like that even though as i said i, I more than definite that i've done it in i've the definitely past. done that too i've, I've deleted yeah. a lot of those intros too because like yeah. you said, after that it's like oh they have no idea what the fuck i just said unless they played the game first yeah as, well as an aside it's one of those things where uh, uh i was given a really good bit of advice by an old editor of mine ryan king used to uh work on play magazine and loads of other stuff in the uk is that write the intro last or close to the last mm. because what happens in the in the critical process as it were is that you go you start going through it and then Maybe your own opinion doesn't necessarily change, but what you've been thinking about it becomes more fully formed. And so that intro is is maybe not not quite as strong as you as you thought it would be. Yeah. And so but yeah, with with good game reviews, I think cut the waffle, you know, cut the the, the nonsense about, oh yeah, and then I did this and then I did that. And then and those are the ones. I know some sites have to you have to i don't want to say lowest common denominator here because i don't think that's fair even though a lot of people think that's what it is for certain sites very popular ones but at the same time you know we we kind of get what these games are about in our style guys it's like gta 5 i'm sure people get it i'm sure yeah. people know uh and so with with me i try and i can only speak for myself here again and or what people whose work i'm looking at i'm trying to find 
what this game what this game is actually about like what what makes this game different or not what makes it interesting or not and if the game if you have something interesting to say about the game then the game itself is probably interesting in and of itself even if it's not necessarily good which is the reason why writing about bad games for instance or kind of mediocre ones is a lot more enjoyable than writing about good games mm-hmm. or games that are what the consensus or industry says objectively very very good because a lot of a lot of reviews you go through and they will say very much the same thing so finding an angle even though people will, be, will say well i think you it should be you know objectively you should say this objectively that blah 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 you should cut out all the personality it should be a list of the things that happened and not necessarily what you thought about people them can eat a dick but keep going yeah it's, it, <laughs> it, that's rubbish some of the best reviews that you'll read will, will will take one element of the game that really appealed to the writer and then build it out as the overarching argument for the game's success or failure. And that, to me, is is a lot more interesting than okay. So then you get a gun, and then the gun is, you know, or it is a shooter. It's yeah. and I think there's a, I do it as well sometimes. Comparative analysis only works so far, which I think is why that old school of saying it's an XXX clone or it's like X meets Y it's kind of gone because you know people don't call first person shooters doom clones anymore for a very good reason the genre grew out of that nor GTA clones yeah. it, the games that came after went further and they did different things and those things were interesting and so you shed that title and so when, I, when I'm reviewing a game I'm sitting down afterwards you know after playing it to think about it I think you know what is there anything interesting about this game is there anything in any if not do, is it does it have its own base level of competency is it still engaging i often talk on our podcast about the uh, james bond bloodstone game <laughs> being one of the being one of the best 5 out of 10 games i've ever played the equivalent the equivalent of sitting down and watching moonraker on a sunday afternoon you know be, be just because it's on, just because it's there. And that's a game by Bizarre Creations where the driving is terrible. I'm like, how is the driving a bizarre? Like, how is the shooting better than the driving in this game? So, yeah, for me, as long as the review actually has something to say about, you know, the crit, about the working parts or the working process of the game and not just superficial base level, it looks great, it sounds great, it plays great. Telling me it plays great is telling me less than nothing. Because what is great? You, I need to know what you think about what great is. Where's your boundary? And for us being very personality driven with Giant Bomb, that works because as you're saying with Gerstmann, you know what he likes. Mm. You know what his definition of great is or you approaching what knowing what it is. Whereas if you have sites where it's just, as you said earlier, like a GameSpot review where maybe you're like, okay, I don't really know much about the people. I know much. I know the brand but not necessarily the, the people who are writing for it. So it's, it's easier, in fact, if people know, like in, in anything like Mark Kermode for moves, movies, uh, you know you know what he likes, and so you know what his definitions are, less so with, say, some of the bigger sites. And there, there are more and more standards across games. Like you said, if, if someone starts their Call of Duty review with it's left trigger to aim, right trigger to shoot, like that guy shouldn't be reviewing that video game. We know. Like we're at a yeah. point where shooters are, there's a standard, there's a standard with a lot of different things that we're able to more freely discuss what makes it different. The thing that grabbed you. I had a Jason Concepcion from, he used to write for Grantland, is now moving to the ringer. He was on the podcast and his kind of summary, his, his, his critical analysis of Metal Gear Solid 5 wasn't focused on 
here's exactly how it feels. This is, you know, this part and this part. It was more, he took the one sequence where you are uh, carrying the one child soldier with you while I think like five or six are following you toward the helicopter. Uh, and he had kind of talked about, he, he did the, you know, describing, painting a picture of a certain situation, but he has the, the, the chops to do so that really pulls you into it and talking about how his hands were sweating when he was, you know, moving toward this helicopter and trying to avoid everyone, how he left the child behind and didn't even realize and had to run back. And that, when I was reading it and him contrasting that with just the bizarre ass, the, the quiet character and the, 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 the <laughs> odd story of how you go from something like that that's so heart pounding and grabs all of you to these, these, these boobs that are bouncing in ways that nothing mm. can bounce. And that to me was, that was really interesting. And I, there was no score at the end, but I, I knew how he felt about the game at the end. And that was... It was much more interesting to me. I, I, I remember when I, again, when I first got started, I feel like in my head there was a, something established where I'm like, I need to talk about the gameplay for this long. I need to talk about the sound design. I need to talk about the graphics. Yeah. I need to, you almost have it structured like an essay from high school where you have this certain, uh, these certain parameters. In conclusion. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. Yeah. And like there's always that. And you almost have like what I learned in high school, which is dog shit, was this five-paragraph essay style where the first paragraph establishes three points each the next three paragraphs expound on the points and then you have the conclusion and that's almost how reviews were at a point and how I thought it was and then it was not until I think I got to GameSpot with Kevin Van Ord where he kind of broke out of that and that's when I kind of had the idea, uh, the thought of you know, if if the sound didn't grab me, I don't even remember what it was really like, I don't want to write about it. It's to me that wasn't yeah. important. The same way with how it looked. If it just looks like most of the games and that's not what was important, let's hone in on what's important and get that out there and something that has bothered me and i know has bothered other people is kind of the review parody out there where metal gear solid 5 to me i really really enjoy that game one of my favorite games last year but goddamn there are some heavy issues with it there are some interesting mm -hmm. bad things in that game that i would never blame anyone for giving it a high mark even a 10 but i feel like the fact that that game comes out and you look at a metacritic of like a 94 of like the 60 to 80 reviews like there are a lot of just similar... There's not a lot of diverse opinions, especially with AAA games. Uh, do you think yeah. that is something that... Do you, do you think that's a problem? It's hard to say, because if a game is good and everyone likes it, it's also hard to go out and say, like, well, why didn't you try to not like it to make sure you were different? Because I don't want that shit. But is there too much review parody? Are we seeing too many big games come out where everyone just kind of has the same stuff to say? And also, when we do have a an outlier opinion, you get the well, this is wrong because everyone else liked it. Is that something that we've established because there's too much review parody? Probably. I think reviews have conditioned uh, people, and uh, as well as this you know, console war bullshit over the years, uh, has, uh, has conditioned people into thinking that outlier scores are uh, just de facto just bullshit, basically wrong, just uh, not part of the herd, and, and hence, because that's what video game criticism was like for a long time, uh, just wrong basically so but at the same time i think this is a very it's a very interesting discussion because video games are so different from say novels or music or films mainly because a lot of what makes people excited about them is predicated on technological advance not just pure artistry so i'm sure you can remember for years and years and years a lot of pc magazines got very excited and console magazines very excited about the emotion engine or you know 
3DFX or all of these things that were going to happen and, and change everything. And I can't remember, I think it was an American magazine had a screenshot of Unreal on the cover saying, yes, this is a screen, this is a real <laughs> screenshot. Real. And, you, and you look back now, you're like, oh boy, this is bad. But, <laughs> but so Metal Gear Solid 5 is actually a very pressing example of this in that, uh, it is, it's a joy to play that game. And I, I scored it highly and I, I really liked it. It is a, it's a beautiful game whose systems work so well that you can you can make the argument for it being in terms of how it plays just just being a great game and i do believe uh, it is in that regard it has tons of problems tons and tons and tons uh, from uh, how the story is told to uh, the gaze with which the story is told by and necessarily who it's for and yeah so i'm not sure we're going to get away from that ever or unless this arms race stops which it won't where suddenly uh, you know graphics top out but they won't this is it and so you'll you'll constantly have um people saying well the story's rubbish or this is rubbish and that's rubbish but it plays well and you know i i understand that completely because i've done that before there's a reason why people love call of duty because even though for example black ops 3 story single player it is so bad, so ridiculously bad that I couldn't, I couldn't give it more than a three if it was just that, uh, that it undermines itself, that it makes no sense, that, uh, that it's stupid and po face and it's just nonsensical at the best of times. It's multiplayer, it's foundation, it's gameplay, which I know is a bit of a loaded term, which we'll get to that, is, is so, so refined, so well done that you will enjoy it. And, that's what the game sets out to do. It's a Call of Duty game. So there have been Call of Duty games that haven't hit those high marks uh, recently and even in years past. And they've not scored as well. I think Ghosts is, is one which, you know, people thought, oh, it's a bit of a filler one. So, yeah, it's a very difficult discussion to have. And that that filters into, with reviews, what do you focus on? Where, where you know, do we talk about the story in Game X? Do we talk, you know... What, where do we start? And I think when you're talking, when personalities are involved, that's when the reviews is better for both sides, both the writer and the reader. Uh, or if you know, if you're watching it on YouTube, the presenter or the, you know, the critic and the watcher, the viewer, that they, they kind of know where you're coming from. And so they know you're not necessarily into this part of, because video games are very difficult to make and uh you know they're very difficult to fit those two what seem to be contradictory slices together player agency and uh, like a fixed and rigid uh, story so yeah it's it's very difficult but you know it's that's going to keep on going on as as we as uh, games get you know ostensibly better in terms of how they look so a difficult one i mean speaking about how we talk about games when it comes to actual coverage can the media in your mind be a bit too too chummy towards studios in a sense. And here's kind of what I mean. So I, I think we're still fighting to a certain degree to legitimize video games in the mainstream. I still think there is this battle with certain people who, you know, grew up and video games weren't really accepted. If you like video games, a lot of times you're like that nerdy kid. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they get into games writing. And that has changed a lot. Video games are much more in the mainstream, but there's still that, that gamer term compared to if you like movies, you're not a a movie goer like you're not there's not a label on you in that way so i think yeah a lot of times i see that i mean praise is showered regularly on things you see people on twitter there's a new trailer that comes out for a game they love and they are just there are barely actual words coming out of their tweets it's just this (laughs) 
it's just this <laughs> noise. It's just this excitement noise. And that's also the person that is, you know, covering this industry. And I, I, I don't think it's one of those things where you need to become this, this statue who doesn't have any emotions toward any sort of the game. They're like, everyone has preferences, but there's still this certain fan nature to a lot of games writers. Do you think that's an issue? And do you think you even, to get even a level deeper, do you think you have to be a fan of video games to really write about them in that sense? I remember I was talking to Tom McShay, who used to write for GameSpot, and he had mentioned that he would enjoy reading uh, a Madden review by someone who wasn't really deep into Madden. Because at this point, when you get it from a Madden player, you, you don't get the the base level of understanding of what that game is. They kind of gloss over that because they're a Madden fan. He would almost rather yeah. see someone who doesn't like Madden try to review a Madden game and get into it because that might help for the layperson. So is this sort of excitement around games to a point where there's just all of this praise pouring out? Is that a problem for someone who also needs to cover games? I think so. Uh, it's, it's absolutely fine, uh, regardless of what I may say on Twitter in the character sometimes, to be excited about games and to be excited uh, about features of them or if they're a sequel to a series that you like uh, or anything like that. But you have to detach that if you, as best you can. It's, it's not always possible. I'd say to do it totally is impossible uh, to, or as close as it is to that, to detach the critical part of your brain from the, oh man, I really like Metal Gear Solid. You know? Because at the end of the day, if, I, if I'm going to bat for a game I don't. I don't want people to read my review and just think it's a load of old shit. Yeah. I want them. To, I want them to read it and actually and know the reason why I like the game. And with a lot of writing, um, especially kind of in the earlier days, you you get that. You do get a bit of fandom, but you get that everywhere. That's that's not to just single out uh, video game writers. Mm. Uh, I mean, the Batman. Bring it up. It's a big one recently. Batman v Superman. Some of some of the stuff you hear about it. You're like, what what movie did we watch? <laughs> now there are, you know, there are different uh, interpretations and opinions of the movie that we watched. But with games, uh, bringing it back to that, I think, yeah, like sit down in the in the critical process and just think, why did I like this game? I don't think maybe enough games writers ask themselves if they've if their their views are valid outside of their own brain. So, for example, I don't understand the love for Kingdom Hearts. I'm not a Final Fantasy guy, not really a Disney guy, okay. But but I would love to read a really good review of Kingdom Hearts that says not just well if you're a fan you'll love this blah 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 blah. Just hey, you know if you've never played it, maybe you should give it a go because reason X, Y, and Z. That to me is that that's a good review, and not just one that says yeah if you played it before, you know if you played the first one then it's kind of like that blah blah blah. Yeah. And a, a lot of reviews are like and I think a lot of reviews. There are other pressures. Not every review is going to be this uh, awe-inspiring masterpiece that's going. And I think, and I think a lot of that's another problem. A lot of games writers get really het up and really bogged down by, oh, I need to make this a really good piece of writing. It needs, and what they do is they they over uh, they over elaborate. They go too far, uh, and so. Yeah, I'm sure we've all done it, but when they get excited about games, but you need to also think when you're writing it, okay, I'm a fan of this series. Why am I a fan? What does this do? What does this game say 
to people that aren't me, maybe. Yeah. And that's when you start to get into good reviews, considering the thing that the writer uh, the writer maybe hasn't already thought of. So yeah, Madden reviews, they, you know, they're, they're kind of like the equivalent of our FIFA reviews. You know, it's like, okay, so last year's game had this, and this year's game has slightly different this. Yep. Nine. You know, and <laughs> so pretty much uh, how my game spot Madden fifteen, Madden twenty five yeah, sounded. Some of those some of those reviews are are absolutely valid because who's buying Madden? You know, and it's great to be able to dig out a, a review that's that's different for a Madden game. But Madden is as much a product as it is a game, you know, and so is FIFA. It is it is a product a marketing exercise, basically. Uh, for uh, CTE, and um, so so yeah, uh, I've I've got no real truck with that. But again, my with reviews, and again, they can't always be amazing masterwork. If you're worrying too much about what the review, how the review reads in terms of what will people think about my writing, then sometimes, or a lot of the time, you will go too far. But yeah, I think so. You just need to be able to step back and. Uh, the problem with reviews sometimes is that you don't actually get a lot of time between when you play them and when you write them. Uh, so write the reviews. So you don't get to decompress and actually spend a couple of days thinking about it. And review events are particularly bad for that. Oh, yeah. You know, because you come out and you're like the bombast of, say, a Call of Duty review event. And you're like, whoa, right. you know, a lot of really cool things happen. And then a week later, you can't remember any of them. You're like, oh, there's that the guy. There was a guy. There was a gun. There was definitely a guy gun. A gun. All right. Mark that yeah. Down. Yeah. So it, you know, it's, it's a difficult skill, writing, writing really well that entertains as well as informs or has something to say. So I, I you know, some, on Twitter, I'm out there, you know, giving it the big one, like we should do this and we should do that. But it doesn't come from. I don't want it to be spiteful necessarily. I just want to say I want us to move away from the perception. I think you're right about that. That. People think, oh, it's just games. They're just those bleeping and blooping little toys for kids. And in a lot of ways, they still are. But they, you know, there's something more to be said. I do think that, you know, I don't also. I never want to give the impression that there has to be one kind of review, and that is the masterpiece that we can look at and be like, oh my god, look at look at this different way they tackled that. Because there are different reviews out there for different people and different needs. I mean, that's important. I yeah. not to keep harping on Giant Bomb, but when you read a Jeff Grisman review, who's written thousands of reviews, his aren't these works of art masterpieces that dig into these thematic elements you would have never thought about. They're very often the simple, here's why I like this or dislike this, and here are mm. the things that stood out, and I think that's absolutely fine. And I also think that you look at a Nick Capozzoli review, and he has to reference 13 different authors and books before he gets to the second mm. paragraph. That's all right, too. <laughs> like that's there's, there's different reviews for different people, but I do... I, I think my initial frustration, or maybe my persisting frustration, has come from a lot of people who write about games were fans of games before they were ever writers. And they, they, they love video games, which is great. And, but they were looking for a way to get into the industry, to get paid to be involved with video games. And writing was their choice. So they learned to write second, which again is okay, that totally happens. But very often yep. it shows where the writing was never the focus. It was this knowledge about the game. And I guess maybe it's just... Whenever I go on a Twitter rant about certain reviews or the way they're done, it's not often about like the structure because I, I agree that there are different structures. For me, it's just it's it's the base level of what can I like how quickly can I put together this? The game looks good, the gameplay is tight but could be tighter and you shouldn't if you're just mm -hmm. saying like the gameplay is good, like what does that even mean? Like what does that mean? Nothing. It's there's a mm -hmm. lot of empty words and a lot of empty 
just like these traditional uses of things where you look at a last paragraph and you can just see about eight different cliches on the way to another cliched closure. And I, yeah. I, I, there, there's for me, it's, it's, I've been guilty of that too. You can absolutely pull out one of my reviews right now and point to eight things and be like, you're right. That was shitty and I should have done better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, I, I always want to challenge people and challenge myself that, that like I want not just structurally, but actual the writing to just be better games writing, better game reviews, reviews that really you have to take the time, take a step back and say like, you know, let me dig into this deeper and not go so surface level and talk about the eight times that were popping. Yeah, I think you're right with the with the fan fan first, writer second. And I think that's that's obviously natural because, you know, a lot of people aren't when they start uh, playing video games, you know, writers. Yeah. Uh, unless they're, they're insane. But, uh, <laughs> and insanely talented. I will say that for me, I wanted to get into, into writing about video games because I really liked reading, writing about video games. And so when I was, when I was younger, when I kind of first broke into the industry, a magazine that I really liked reading. So by three a month. So one was, uh, by Games TM, mm. which, uh, is, is kind of, kind of, I suppose, the broadly like Edge or when it launched years ago, it was meant to be kind of an Edge competitor. Uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly, which just amazing up to a point, and a magazine called 360. And in the end, I got a job writing for 360 magazine. And I considered, you know, I was I was very excited, not because I thought I was going to to be able to fly out and meet all these people and go and meet my heroes, or that I was going to get free video games or get to go to all these events. I was excited that I would finally get to write about games for a magazine and all of the kind of structural stuff and yeah. the form that that uh, and that may sound pretty dry but if you grow up like really liking something uh anything and then you get the chance to appear on that thing that's you know that that's a, that's pretty big and i'm not saying 360 was the greatest magazine in the world but it had it had a good style not too serious but also some very good criticism in there good understanding of what what made good games and it married those two well so yeah i think it's difficult because some people who are fans, who are really, as you say, very much into games and know everything about games and everything about certain games, they're also really good writers. You talk about guys like Nick. He's got he's got a different background, but I I appreciate listening to his ideas because what he brings to his reviews comes from a place that's maybe a bit different, in fact, quite a lot different than, you know, I love Mario or I love Final Fantasy and hence when I grow up I want to be able to get closer to the people who make Mario or Final Fantasy. I interviewed Kojima and I was like, yeah, okay, it's Kojima. But I know a lot of people, they they get photos and they get really excited. And Those are the okay. same people who clap, the, the same press who clap during an E3 press conference and stand up There's and no- clap when they announce the price of a console. There's no cheering in the press box in there in my world. That's so. Uh, yep. So, video games is this weird, weird case. Again, let me say the tech drives so much of it, and it's easy to get into you know playing a video game to understanding at its core what it's like to to play one. That you you become a fan first and a writer second. I'm not sure that's always exactly the same way in uh, in other mediums. So it's gonna it's difficult to to drive that out. I was similar to you where I. There was definitely an excitement when I first got like my first free game. When I first got my like, here's this game early, and there's this, holy shit, I'm doing this. But I think the biggest moments for me were always when I first, uh, when I was on the front page of IGN, when I was on the front page of GameSpot, and seeing 
my writing alongside these other people and on these these sites like you said when you're on 360 like that's that's what it's it, it, there's definitely this this allure to meeting your quote-unquote heroes because in this mm. weird games bubble we're in there's certain people like a kojima i remember when i was at e3 in 2013 I was waiting in line for the uh, Sony through press conference. And this was that, you know, the mic dropping $400 press conference, like yeah. that crazy one. Uh, I was in line next to Kojima and had, that was definitely a moment where I had to resist every urge to be like, don't, don't take a picture of him. Just don't, don't give him mm. a hug. Don't do anything weird. Just hold yourself together. There is that, you know, no matter how much of us are, you know, writing is our passion. Like there is still this game fandom that surrounds it. But I do think that, a lot of the people like that's that is the biggest moment when you are able to see your writing and a lot of your work get paid off being on uh different places like that and something that video gamer has done extremely well recently and i very much enjoyed it was the youtube content uh i i usually i avoid a lot of youtube uh because it very much ends up how loud can this guy scream into a camera (laughs) Um, how exaggerated can this guy make his mannerisms to a point where it's just oh god and there's so many hard cuts but i mean you you've established yourselves uh it's it's half interesting uh videos about you going this this critical analysis of something or like a top 10 list that although it's top 10 or top 7 list it actually has this very interesting unique message that isn't just and by the by the time we get to number one there you go and you're gonna forget forget about this in five minutes it's the Miller Report, Right to Reply, stuff like that. There's these characters and there's everything like that. But can it be frustrating at all? Uh, and I know you were doing the Miller Report every week and now it's going to go down to kind of more special occasions because it, it's a yeah. lot of work to put into something like that. Can it be frustrating yeah. when gameplay videos or um, a top 10 list that you didn't put that much time into is more of just like a you know a, a shorter top 10 list? Is, is it can be frustrating when something like that outperforms the Miller Report and the things that really take a long time similar to in writing when you you put together this this massive editorial and the the one opinion piece about why dark souls 3 is dog shit is the one that gets all the traffic <laughs> i no i don't think so because if you've been kind of in and around the business long enough you know you know broadly what's going to or you think you know what's going to do well and you or at least you understand why uh, things that you know maybe haven't had as much effort put into them or you know by virtue of them not needing as much effort do better that that for me as long as the as long as the videos that we produce you know as long as they they're doing well i i'm not I, i'm not that precious about it because for me as long as the the work's good so that's fine and maybe if you have say you know something that 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 goes viral or you know, it, it gets a lot of shares and it's on Reddit or whatever, uh, or it's, it's going around Twitter. Maybe that's, you know, like a seven reasons as opposed to a Miller report. Maybe when people land on your YouTube um, page, they might go, okay, well, I, I want to see a bit more of that. And then they go to see the other stuff. So, no, that's not always a problem. I understand the frustration when, you know, you, you put a lot of effort in and, and maybe it doesn't do as well as as you think. But at the same time, you, ha- you, you have to be aware that not everything's going to be a hit. I think uh, as an industry, <laughs> we should probably start listening to, to that bit of advice. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I, as long as I still think that everything that we do has has a, a merit beyond just going after the clicks, then then generally I'm fine with it. One of the things I think when you say about our um, our kind of unique 
spin or the things that we pull out for our lists. I think one of the one of the things that stuck with me for from Fallout is, and it sounds it sounds such a bizarre and petty and nitpicky thing to say, is it why why is the world of Fallout so like why why do they have a detective agency? <laughs> But, but they haven't cleaned up. And, you know, and, and then you start, and people like Steve give it a rest. But if you start to think about that, it starts to tell you how the game, the mindset from which the game was made. And then you start to, then I start to think, well, I just think the world is now set dressing, basically. I don't understand why. And so it's, it's, it's trying to tell this story of this world and, and oh, this, this bad nuclear apocalypse. And I'm like, so wait a minute. You've got, you've got like a surgeon. But you haven't got a cleaner. It's easier to be a surgeon in Fallout 4's <laughs> world than it is easier to sweep the streets. And and those things, if you're looking, if you're going to be critical about them, that's why I think that gets to the heart of why I'm just not engaged in in, in some things. And people will say that's petty, but I think when you st- nothing in video games happens. Same with films, really, by by true mistake. Yes, the p- things may just happen. Uh, maybe you'll get lucky with a lot of certain things, but the the, the grounding principles of, of them, for example, the, what Fallout 4's world looks like is built on other stuff. And then you can start to get into the nitty gritty of this world and why maybe people don't like it. That's not just they don't like RPGs because those little things generally sometimes inform the bigger things. And if that if that point, was like in, let's say you wrote a follow up for review and you there was like a three paragraph segment about that and the thinking of the game and like to me that would bring me to your review because it's something I have never thought about and something that's interesting and yeah you could say well compare that to the actual game like what what does this really matter is this really going to affect the score you asshole I'm taking I'm playing the role <laughs> of uh, anyone who reads anything that you or I have ever written but I mean that's interesting to me and as as the medium progresses and as you know we we're not as worried once performance gets better and the graphics are better and there's these standards you you have the kind of the leash a longer leash to explore things like that to explore the things that make a game that that really pique your interest and that i think is great and it it could if if by the end of the game you're like it's a five because that that logic what the fuck like that makes no Mm. sense i think yeah that's when people might have the right reason but that's also why I really enjoy, you mentioned earlier how you have a very short window with the game uh, before it actually needs to, the embargo list, you need to publish that review. Sometimes I'm at GameSpot, there was a time where I had, there's, they, they were taking a while, a publisher was taking a while to give me a review copy, and they sent it to the wrong address. I ended up having like four days to yeah. kind of turn around a sports game review, and I also have a full-time job, so I was like, well, I'm not going to be sleeping a lot. And by the end, I was happy with the review, <laughs> but there was this aspect of I wish I could have let these ideas kind of settle for a bit in my head and go back to it. And there's there's late game stuff that you might never have noticed, like after the review. And there's not a lot of reviews I look back on and say, well, I should have given this. I wish I really wish I would have brought this up instead and lowered the score, put the score up. But there's definitely things where it's like, oh, man, this didn't hold up as well in this area than what I thought because I didn't have that agency to continue. And that's why I like a lot of these follow-up pieces i like a lot of what kotaku does where they don't just give up on a game because i think we have this this kind of this tendency to we get really excited to build to the game the game comes out in the next two days that's all everyone's talking about and then we just drop it like it's hot like no one wants to even communicate about anymore and the idea of spending the extra time with it and kind of getting these these other stories that you might have never heard after you let it settle and you have new opinions about it that's 
that's interesting to me. That level of criticism, that level of kind of exploration into games that call for it. I don't think you should do that with everything. Like I, if if you are done with a game, I think you should be done with a game. But that's fun for me, and that's why I think. I don't think your idea about Fallout 4 is petty because I don't care about Fallout 4, but I would read your mm. Fallout 4 review if, if you made an impassioned argument about that. Yeah, I think there's a very good point there on on coming to back to games afterwards. And I think there's a whole thing, and it's touched on something that we talked about earlier, of being right and wrong in terms of uh, in terms of video game criticism, there is a review parity. There's not that much divergence really in scores. And yeah, so you don't so there's this vitriolic reaction to being, you know, quote unquote wrong, to being uh, different to what people are saying and coming at it from a different angle, which tends to homogenize uh, a lot of writing, particularly at the bigger sites. Uh, however, coming back to things later on with a with a fresh perspective, not just on the tech element of a game has it aged badly, but just how do you feel? How how have things changed? One of the best reviews of a movie, for example, that I've ever I've ever read was it was a re-review from Roger Ebert of Apocalypse Now, and I think he saw the original version and and didn't much like it. Thought it was a bit overblown. Thought it was just Coppola had gone mad, which is true, and uh, you know it was you know Wagnerian just massive five act thing with no ending and why was Marlon Brando doing this and he said you know he came back to it years later and watched it and his opinion just completely reversed because of things that happened things that he'd done and seen and how the movie now spoke to him I don't think we're necessarily quite at that for video games yet because they're not as we say purely artistic uh, enterprises, you know, someone might have with say Moby Dick a bet, you know, a, a different reaction when if they read it when they were fifteen to when they were forty. I think you'd almost be guaranteed to to change your opinion. But video games were still so uh, focused on does it do these technical things right and wrong, and so to go away from the to move away to to give a game a four. I gave Beyond a four, for example. I think it's rub. I think it's terrible. <laughs> I think it's absolutely... I'm talking to a Heavy Rain fan, but I could at least understand. I did not play Beyond. I, I, I could also understand if you hated Heavy Rain, but yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't hate uh, Heavy Rain, but uh, but I did think. Oh, and it, a lot of the reasons. Um, so I can understand maybe why people kind of like Beyond, but I just can't go too far with getting on board with their arguments. I mean, Beyond is a game which which thinks that it is. Um, it wants to give you this agency of, of of telling the story, so out of being the main part, of being both the uh, you know being the actor and the director, and then you infiltrate a Korean submarine base, and you're you're a white American dude, and you're wearing a general's outfit, and no one stops you, and and the guy who the 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 face model for that character is actually an American male model. It's, it's farcical. It's yeah. just absolutely ridiculous. And Cage's games, they talk and babble on about storytelling where you, you wouldn't watch a movie that tried to, to get away with that. You'd laugh it out the cinema. And I believe the New York Times, who broke the review embargo on that, I remember this very clearly, uh, because I was thinking to myself, how much of an outlier am I going to be in my review? Beyond, I believe they said, and again, this is paraphrased, but I think it's fairly quote, fairly close to the quote was, uh, you know, Mr. Cage aspires to, you know, to make these, to make movies or be a film director. If Beyond was a movie, it'd be among the very worst he'd ever seen. <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> wow, 
concise and cutting. I mean, what, what more do you expect from the, uh, what, what, what would you expect from the New York Times? Exactly that. So, yeah, I think when, when we're talking about what people want from reviews and, and, and going back after, after the fact, and when you say that window, uh, you know, is, is closed, uh, for reviews and embargoes and then NDAs are up. I think that's where a lot of the really good writing comes from. And one of my, you know, favorite pieces of, of writing when we're talking about going back to games is a game that I really like and one that I bore people, uh, to tears with when we're talking about Kane Lynch 2. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kane Lynch 2 is, is one of those games where, uh, I think Tim, it was Tim Rogers action button. He wrote this great kind of impassioned defense of of Kane Lynch 2 not built on the fact that he loved it but on the on the back that it's interesting that's an interesting game a lot of it's crap but uh, for, crap uh, for an interesting in, but for an for uh, for an industry where everything um it, where aesthetics means just visuals uh, and everything has to be you know bigger and better and more badass to use the, the kind of cliffy b line from way back when when the graphics have to be good when you're when you're looking at a game which eschews that, it's like you know what, fuck that shit. Like we're going to make our game look deliberately what people think is bad. It's going to look like not this high definition, gleaming, you know, ode to the technological prowess of these machines. It's going to look like someone filmed it on a phone. That you know that takes a lot of fucking guts to put millions of dollars behind a game which is going to do that. And so I, that's a game, a recent game, not recent ish, that I admire. Not because I necessarily think it's a great game, but it's a, an interesting one more than more than anything. And with the interesting games, you, you know, you get interesting writing. Yeah. Again, back to the Madden thing. What's interesting about Madden? You know, it's it's a good. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say it's bad. And you know, I think I I can't speak for Madden because I haven't played it in years. But one of the one of the games that I review every year, and I'm a big fan of the series, is Pro Evolution Soccer. Um, and so I'm not sure if it's still called uh, Winning Eleven um, in America. I'm not sure if they changed yeah. it. So, and, and this game, uh, this game is like a kind of a, a great breakdown, uh, like a micro for Konami's macro when it was transitioning between, say, PS2 and, and Xbox 360. And it, you know, they weren't ready. The game wasn't ready. The game was allowed to stagnate. And you can infer all these things out about how Japanese firms were building their games were like reacting and there's this whole thing where Inufune said that Japanese game development's dead and all of that you know and Phil Fish said Japanese games you know aren't great or rubbish they're behind the times whatever but Pro Evolution Soccer for what is essentially a football game a soccer game I'm playing it thinking right firstly how can I say anything interesting about this but if you scratch the surface and go deeper there are interesting things to say about them and what they say about the development culture I mean it's a Japanese team uh, that makes a game which is biggest in Europe and Latin America. That's that's interesting to me. How do they how do they interpret it? You know, I'm not saying that Japanese uh, you know culture does isn't isn't big on football soccer. It is, but it's not biggest there. It would be it would I th- I think Pez 2016 is the best football game ever made. Like imagine if um, Madden was was made in Asia. I mean, that would be. I'd love to know I would about play the hell out of that. That sounds I, awesome. You know, I would. I would love to. And 
I would love to kind of get to the the heart of that. And there's there's a lot of discussion to be had about uh, FIFA, about how, and I believe this was on Edge. I'm sorry, I can't remember who wrote it. But I think they were saying, like, all FIFA does is try to replicate not the game, but the experience of watching the game. So all of their idents and screen furniture is all perfect. So it's like you're watching it on Sky Sports, which is, well, you know, our thing over here. And Madden has that kind of, uh, ESPN focus, you know, that sort of thing where it'll have all these tie-ins and then midway through the game, it might say this and that and the other. And, you know, that, that is, that fascinates me. That's an angle I'd love to see approached more in, uh, about how games, about how football games or soccer games in particular became less about interpreting football with limited resources, say international superstar soccer. And then went to just replicating what you watch on your television. So, yeah, you can come back to all the thing after the fact. You can come back and say something interesting about the game. It's just difficult to do it at the time because a lot of times the window is very short. You mentioned earlier, you know, what people want from a game review, and that stuck out to me because I, I think that's it's hard to to really match what you care about when it comes to games with what the mass audience is looking for. And if we're using Kano Lynch 2 as an example, if you write the review and really focus on that, the, the style of it, the, the aesthetic, the idea that it almost looks like it's being shot from a camera and the fact that it takes chances, uh, people might say then like, oh man, this is a good game, and then play it. And then what they care about is the fact that the shooting isn't very good. It's not very long. Uh, and certain other elements don't really stand out to them. And I think that comes back also to, I somehow, I ended up reviewing this game called like Akiba Strip, which is a <laughs> Japanese game on the Vita where you punch people's clothes off. Uh, and you expose <laughs> their bodies to the light, and like like a vampire, they almost like like burn in the light, not before you see their, their, their boobs bouncing around for a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And to me, like I, you know, I, I talked about how that, you know, there's a certain uncomfortable nature to what you're doing, and I got roasted in the. I rarely read the comments. I only looked at this recently because one of those things I forgot I reviewed that game. I looked down. I'm like, oh wow, there's like 300 comments saying, you know, why wouldn't they get a guy who likes this kind of stuff to review it? Which is a whole entire discussion for another day. But it, it that comes down to what grabbed me about this game is that it's not a very good video game in general. It's not very fun. Additionally. There is this awkward, we need to punch clothes off, and then the camera's just going to focus on these these just mm. boobs bouncing from left to right all over the place. And, you know, people are saying, like, I think it's the idea that some people who play games don't want to think about these moral elements, these thematic elements. They just want to shoot people and look at tits. Like, some people, that's all they're going <laughs> for. And I don't I don't think that's wrong. And I, I, I don't. I, I don't. I understand that. But there's this vitriolic nature and tenor to some of the comments you get for when you, when you're looking at a game, I don't know if deeper is the right word, but differently. And that's the kind of stuff like a Metal Gear Solid where some people are like, who cares if there are boobs in this game and very troubling themes. It's a lot of fun and I enjoyed it and I don't want to think about that. Uh, So I think that's where there's this, there's this dissonance with what people, and maybe people have also been trained by a lot of reviews in the past that always, kind of scrubbed over that stuff and that wasn't the focus and now that different writers are tackling that there's this tension uh so yeah there's just it's a strange balance between what a a critic wants to point out in a game and what a reader is looking for and thankfully 
There are so many different reviews out there of video games. If you don't like one, you don't have to make an account on that website solely to call that guy a cunt or whatever you have to do. <laughs> like, you can move on with your day and not point that out. Well, it comes down to the, the, you know, the whole thing, whether you're writing what is a, a piece of that, you know, criticism or a bias guide. You know, and some people approach video games like they're reviewing hi-fis or cars. <laughs> yes. um, you know, and it, it, well, actually, probably, you know, cars is probably not that great an example because people have such a deep connection to motoring where, you know, they will go into what it means to them. But, you know, okay, let's use another one. It's almost like an HDTV or a camera. Yeah, you're like, it does this. The blacks are good. Uh, there's no, there's no crushed blacks in this television. Uh, there's, you know, the, it's all quite nice. The remote's good. It doesn't take ages to boot. Seven. Oh, great. You know, but, um, yeah, and some people do get, you know, do get very upset when you attempt to, to say to them, okay, well, you know, I think Killer is Dead is a good example of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, recently. It's like, well, you know, what is this pickup minigame actually about? What's it saying about its creator? If you're talking about idiosyncratic gag, or, I mean, I hate this fucking word, auteur led gag. <laughs> development then you've got to start asking questions as to what this says about the person who made it Metal Gear Solid 5 is a very interesting one where we're going to you know people are like oh well no because you know Snake is you can take Snake's shirt off and it's like but you have to it's not it's not what's presented it's how the camera looks at it and I think with video games I was saying this the other day on Twitter and then stopped saying it uh, immediately because I thought people would think I was had the wank hat firmly on and gone mad uh with this whole Street Fighter Five thing, with uh, you know Armika and and all those things, it's for me. I think video game people have been uh, video game people as if, as if I'm not one of them. As if I'm talking <laughs> about this, you know, people those who like people. video. Yeah, what what people who are into video games and really like video games consider to be the camera uh, isn't actually really a camera in other in other arts. So a camera in in film is very different to what a camera is in. In, uh, in video games, and I do believe it's a bit of a, mis a misnomer a lot of the times. I think a better word for what you actually see in a video game a lot of times, especially shooters, is just a feed. That's it, just because there's no artistic direction really or merit behind it. It's merely enabling you to to move through the world. And I think the biggest indicator of that is when games, especially first-person shooters, take control of that feed away from you and start showing you things as if through the lens of a camera, as in positioning stuff and, say, composition or cinematography. All those things get layered into, you know, photography and, and filmmaking. People generally think about what they're putting there in video games. Uh, when the player's in control, are they thinking about it? Are they thinking about the, the composition of the frame? Are they thinking about what they're seeing? Maybe, but not in the same way. They're thinking about it as a, as a means to an end to achieve a goal, which is generally just success orientated and not to make them think any deeper about it. So that's a very roundabout way of saying that when you have these Street Fighter 5 things or Metal Gear Solid 5 things and you say, well, Ryu's got his shirt off. You say, well, yeah, but Ryu, the camera treats Ryu differently than it does the female characters, and the same with Metal Gear Solid Five. And so when you point these things out, I think players, whether it's the games they've been playing or the reviews they've been reading or the criticism they've been indulging in, maybe hasn't really thought about that or, or, or gone beyond. It looks great, it sounds great, it plays great. But when you start bringing those ideas in, I think people are going to, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not sound that pretentious, that we're going to change the world by, by bringing in different means of criticism. But 
those are the interesting parts of reviews. And to get back to one of your very first questions, when you know an interesting review will have elements, will talk about the uh, the decisions made uh, behind the scenes and not just what you're seeing or how it feels. And you know, hopefully, and once again, I don't want to sound like some sort of savior to reviews writing or anything like that, or anyone I know is like that, but. Hopefully, as we continue to tackle these issues more and go deeper, then this game looks really good, except for that one time that my arm clipped through a wall. Like that, Once we <laughs> expand that, then people who read games writing and the perception of games writing will kind of expand. That'll become more of a thing where I don't care if someone decides to you know, say that I shouldn't have been born or that I don't understand how video games work because I think that this certain element of the game is not great. But it'd be nice if that became a more accepted thing that that coverage goes beyond this product review this let me go down the list because i know i understand the 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 desire and need for that sort of writing but that's not what i find interesting about games Mm -hmm. and i would like it's never a bad thing to have more writing that i find interesting and especially if i just like aggressively disagree with someone i want to read that review if I think it's shit and I think you have bad points and played, like you literally are out for the game, that's a different conversation. But if I walk away from a review disagreeing with it but looking at a game differently, then that's a good review for me. That's that's something that I, w- I want to think about that differently, uh, even if in the end I fall on a different side of that issue. But uh, I have... I have a million dollar question for you and we can, we can close on this. Uh, otherwise, we will literally be talking about reviews for like three hours. Uh, <laughs> I, of course, want to see Video Gamer around as long as possible, and I really enjoy what you guys do. But in your in your mind, how can websites really adapt and survive? We talked about the adaptability of including coverage for different uh, different media that it still kind of falls in line with what someone who will read Video Gamer and loves video games would also love these specific movies or these specific other areas but and you guys are succeeding through uh patreon and by no means do i think you'll stop doing well anytime soon but with the ad structure crumbling and uh, you know patreon although it's helping a lot of people it's it doesn't feel like the permanent solution what do you think yeah. sites can do to not only maintain and stay alive but actually keep growing in this weird kind of uncertain era we're in yeah i think uh that is the hit well that's probably the uh the billion yeah if you knew that question. then you probably wouldn't be talking to me you'd be like on the first you know, top floor of a building smoking <laughs> cuban cigars and drinking drinks but, but i i think even those guys uh you know don't have the answer they don't know because no one knows at the moment they have their best guesses but it's it's not an exact science i think for us uh what we do is our personality driven stuff has enabled us to to kind of break out of of that standard uh, review preview uh this is our website cycle this is our podcast so we you know we're doing live events uh we're hosting our own award show which is coming up and uh, you know that sold out very quickly we have we have like, community nights uh, all of that sort of thing because it used to be that uh the people you know, video game criticism and all criticism maybe came from the top of the mountain and was kind of the end of the conversation. And that was built upon the fact that, you know, especially in video games, it went into a magazine and then no one, no one ever read it ever again because it was very, it was almost like a product review. You don't go back to read old reviews of toasters, but now it kind of starts. I don't know. know. (laughs) Every day. Sorry, I shouldn't speak for everyone there. Classic (laughs) video game people. Uh, but now, now it's the, it's the kind of start of that. People want to, People already think that they know you through Twitter. You're not 
behind some organ, basically. It's not the New York Times anymore. People want to see you. They want to, they want to know what you're about. And because there's so much choice, now more than ever, people want to find criticism or people who align with their choices. People have always done that. Objectivity is bullshit in that regard. So, uh, so truly subjective reviews. And when you come into, yeah, so people want people want to to come to our you know our award shows because they know we're going to take the piss out of people, and there's so much room for entertainment these days, uh, and you know everything can you know Twitter can come can supply you with pretty much every bit of video game news. NeoGaf can do that. You know, Facebook will start has started curating the news as a, you know a front. So why would you go to CNN when CNN is being pushed through? Or well, Apple have all these things. It's you know it's a turbulent time. Uh, but you have to work, you have to play to your strengths. Uh, you know, not always exclusively so. You have to know that you can't spend 10 days working on like a three hour version of the Miller Report. You know, otherwise that's how you get mad Heaven's Gate things, which crushes the entire firm. But you do, you know, you have to build on the fact that, you know, people want to speak to you or, or see you and you feel like you've built that, that connection relationship. And so for video gamer, we like doing that. That's the direction we're, you know, we're heading in, as well as making sure that we do the other things. But yeah, you have to, you have to be branching out. You can't unless you got in 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 ninety six seven. You know, unless you started IGN or Gamespot, and now you were just, you know, too big to fail basically just by virtue of being an IGN or a Gamespot. And that's no slight on them. Then you you have to start moving moving differently, moving with the trends. And I think I actually think that's that's really good because if we didn't have to have to change what we did we didn't have to start saying okay well we want to put on some live shows we want to have live podcasts or or do a really kind of silly award show but one that still has big publishers and whoever turning up then we wouldn't be forced to do it and you know it's that old maxim necessity the mother of invention maybe a lot of that's bollocks but a lot of it's also true and so you have to be able to to change and hopefully uh, we'll be able to navigate it successfully but at the same time who knows? Maybe Zuckerberg tomorrow. But like the AI's here now. Everyone's out. Cheers, Mark. Appreciate it. See, the correct answer was a weekly Walking Dead podcast where you uh, try to guess who is going to die in the next episode. That uh, is the key well, to sustainability. I, what you said was great, but uh, <laughs> give me my Cuban cigar. I figured this shit out. Uh, Steve, I really appreciate you talk with me today about this this has been a long time coming i've wanted to have you on here for a while just because uh, i you know enjoy reading not only your writing but also just your opinions on twitter and we're in this weird stage where like you said it kind of feels like we know people through twitter at this point so i can kind of pick out like oh i feel like we're gonna have an interesting conversation and uh hopefully one day whenever i actually start writing about games again maybe i can could find my way to get another feature on video gamer whenever i yeah. stop being the enemy and actually working with people who make them <laughs> so yeah well thanks for having me on appreciate it no problem at all and uh, yeah thanks everyone for listening and hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099 outro music (laughs) 